Welcome to the Basic Scotland podcast series. These are brief snapshots of topics relevant to pre-hospital care, predominantly within Scotland, and some deep dives into specialist areas with experts from a wide range of disciplines. My name is Dave Strachan. I'm an Army Surgical Registrar, a Basics Responder, and a Mountain Rescue Doctor. We at Basic Scotland are very grateful to NHS Education for Scotland for all of their support with these podcasts. Tonight is Mark Worrell. Mark is a paediatric intensivist at the Royal Hospital for Children in Glasgow. He's a consultant in paediatric critical care transport at Scottstar, and he's also one of our responder support clinicians for Basic Scotland. And he's got an interest in the management of the critically unwell child anywhere, really, from pre-hospital to hospital. Mark, thanks so much for coming on to chat. Uh, Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back. So tonight we're going to look at anaphylaxis. I get, I mean, this is a topic that everybody's kind of aware of. Let's just pin down some definitions first. What exactly is it that we're talking about here? So anaphylaxis is a, well, the definitions are rapidly evolving, generalized, multi-system allergic reaction. And it's usually got one or two body systems involved in it. And you're usually going to expect it to be respiratory or cardiovascular problems to get the exact diagnosis. But other systems, such as the GI tract, could be involved. So we're looking to see some sort of cardiovascular element, some sort of respiratory element. And how does it present? So clinically working through our kind of assessment algorithm, what does this look like in practice? So this is probably the biggest challenge with anaphylaxis if it's happening for the first time in this child is it could have different types of presentations. You know, the classical angioedema and cardiovascular collapse doesn't always happen. And it can be more subtle signs that you might be seeing initially. Let's walk through then. We've been called to an unwell kid. What sort of things are going to trigger when we're sort of assessing, for instance, the airway? What things are going to be a red flags that might make us want to have anaphylaxis on the diagnosis? You've got to have a, a low threshold to think of this may be anaphylaxis and using your normal systematic approach to the assessment of the sick child using your CACV, CDE assessment. You know, they could present with florid anaphylaxis which is having an airway problem initially which usually is the exception in reality but they could present with strider and proceeding to angioedema could be their presenting sign and thinking about airway and then moving on to breathing they could have respiratory failure with high respiratory rates desaturated and could have wheeze but the wheeze obviously brings into a differential as well as a strider is this a respiratory thing that's going on? So it's trying to put a picture together of what you're finding in your systematic assessment with the patient. Does this fit in with the history of strider that's been coming on for a short time period or a longer time period over a few hours? The same with the wheeze. Is there a history of asthma or viral induced wheeze or previous wheeze? Or has this just happened suddenly? So I think sometimes it's just taking a bit of time to listen to the history and sometimes there may be an obvious trigger that may have caused this. So it's a systematic approach, but having a thinking about the history and how quickly it's come on. Am I right in saying that often in kids, I guess, particularly in the sort of younger children, you're obviously not going to get quite as much in the way of an accurate history and you might not be able to identify that there's been an exposure. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, sometimes it can be more challenging to work out what's exactly going on. Because I've just given you two examples of strider and wheeze. And another example may be a rash. So it's about putting the whole picture together. 
So it, it can be a little bit fuzzy initially. Glad you mentioned the rash because I think when I came through medical school, I assumed that all anaphylaxis has to involve a rash. And that doesn't seem to kind of marry up with clinical practice where whilst there's certainly been some allergies who have presented with the rash, it doesn't appear to always be a feature. Not always, or it could be a feature later on with the condition, especially if it's been a slight delay in working out what's going on and giving the medication for that. Okay, so we've got anaphylaxis pretty high up the differential. What sort of things are we going to do? Obviously, we want to try and, I guess, remove the trigger. What sort of things can we do to try and reduce ongoing exposure to the allergen? Well, People think peanut allergy, don't they, in children is the first thing, and food allergens. So that's usually the first allergy they've got. It's not usually drug-related. You know, people may think about penicillin um, allergy, but we're talking about anaphylaxis here. Peanut allergy is in, and food allergies, such as egg and, and other type of food stuffs, are, are one of the common causes to do that. And you may see swollen lips, or they may just have something to eat. So it's thinking about that. You've got other allergies which have got crossover to adults, but they're the ones you want to think of. If the child's got a history of eczema or they've got wheeze or asthma in the family or a history of, of allergic reactions in the family, that may be another hint. So it's all kind of building a picture, I guess. Okay, so I'm working through in my head and I'm, I'm aware that there's a new algorithm that's come out from the, the Resource Council for Anaphylaxis. And I think from memory, the next chunk of it is all about the basic first aid type stuff. So what sort of things can we do without reaching into our bag of drugs? So if you've got the new anaphylaxis guideline, there's not huge changes to that. There's a few small changes, but nothing substantial. But the first thing we'll come back to is, is this anaphylaxis? You need to ask yourself, could this be anaphylaxis? To be able to think about the algorithm, to pick it up or to go into your jail calc or whatever you use. You know, diagnosis is a sudden onset of airway, breathing problems or cardiovascular collapse. And the skin changes, itchy and rash is what they suggest on here. And then the next thing to do is you need to call for help. Okay, you may be the help, but if you're there on your own, you may well need help. And if you haven't got anything that's going to be able to convey the child to hospital, then you obviously need to make contact with control. So it depends who you are and where you are and what you're doing. You need to remove the trigger. So if you're giving some medication of some sort, okay, so you're in a healthcare environment, you're giving something, you need to stop it. But if it's something that may be food related, the child may have some nausea and vomiting or aversion to having any more of that anyway. You uh, need to lie the child flat as much as you can. The sitting position is obviously going to help their breathing, but lying down is probably going to be better if they've got problems with their blood pressure or not. But what you need to do, and you need to be thinking early, which is to stop this reaction and continuing, is to give some intramuscular adrenaline into the, uh, the side of the thigh. I think, I'm sure you'd agree, the dosages, it's worth just double-checking, and particularly for paediatrics, certainly my practice is that I will always, even though I think I remember the answer, go back and, and read the book because minds are faulty, especially when you're under lots of pressure. 100%. This is the time not to try and think about the going to the back of your head, working out the dose. This is the time to look it up. Whatever means you do to look up these doses, normally you need to look the dose up because the dose range is different for um, adults and children over 12, 6 to 12, 6 months to 6 years, and less than 6 months. So there's four brackets there, and you need to go and look it up. Fantastic. 
Okay, so once that initial bolus dose of adrenaline is in, I think this is where the old anaphylaxis guidelines used to then have a load of other drugs and a load of other things that got task-focused on. But that's all gone with the new guideline. Okay, so this is where the couple of differences are. So the old guy then would talk about hydrocortisone and chlorpheniramine, and they're not on this new algorithm for the treatment of anaphylaxis. What it says is you give your first dose of intramuscular adrenaline and then establish an airway, give some oxygen and apply monitoring. Then after five minutes, if there's been no response, you give a further intramuscular adrenaline, one in a thousand, and then you can consider giving an IV fluid bolus. So to clarify, hydrocortisone's gone and the IV antihistamines are out for severe reactions. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. You know, they may have their place later on down the line with specialist management. And if you've got mild to moderate allergic reaction, then you may well consider chlorpheniramine and antihistamine. But they do not feature in this severe type of allergic reaction, anaphylaxis. Fantastic. I mean, I guess... In many senses, it's two less drugs to carry and and two less things to think about. And you can then focus attention on getting that adrenaline in, kind of working hard at getting the best airway possible. Absolutely. It's always the approach with sick children is to keep it simple and keep it to the basics. Complicating it is only going to make things more complicated. Okay. And you mentioned a fluid bolus. What kind of thing and, and how much are we going to be giving? So you want to use crystalloid, which is on the whole, that's what you've only got access to anyway for your hospital. And so that's going to be saline usually. You could use plasmolite and that's 10 mils per kilo. So that's one of the changes in 2021. We've moved away from 20 mil per kilo for children to 10 mil per kilo fluid boluses on a whole. What we're not going to give them is gelifusin because that's a, a risk of anaphylaxis with that. And we're not going to give any albumin type products. But on a whole, you haven't got access to those type of intravenous fluids pre-hospital. We've drilled it into people that, that fluids pre-hospitally are not always a good thing. Do we worry about looking in extensively for signs of shock? Are we going to titrate this against a particular blood pressure or radial pulse? Or is this just going to be a, a bolus at 10 mils per kilogram, irrespective of what we're seeing in front of us? I think you need to see what's in front of you. But if you've got anaphylaxis, it is refractory to so the intramuscular adrenaline, what you're going to get is going to get problems with vasodilatation. So the vessels are going to open up. So they're going to need some filling. So I think if you, it's it's clear in the algorithm, if you've had no response to the intramuscular adrenaline, you need to give some ivory fluid fluid challenge. And you can see what happens. You can give one bolus and see what happens. But if, they, if you give your fluid bolus and you give your intramuscular adrenaline every five minutes and the blood pressure is falling, then you're probably going to have to carry on with both those medications, the fluids and the adrenaline, until you've got to specialist care in a hospital. You mentioned refractory anaphylaxis, and I guess that's the other side of these new guidelines, is that there's a whole separate page looking at refractory anaphylaxis where they've not responded yes. to those two initial doses. Talk me through some of the things that we need to think about in terms of the airway, the breathing, the circulation, interventions that we can make to each of those to try and improve what we're seeing in front of us. Okay, so you've done all those immediate things to do to try and stop this rock that's going to start falling down the hillside, you're trying to stop it. That's the essence of why you want to try and give the adrenaline early, give them some fluid. Obviously, we've talked about IV fluid. You're going to have to establish some type of parental access, so a peripheral cannula or potentially interosseous access, and that's how you're going to be able to give you fluid. We've talked already about giving high flow oxygen, and if you can titrate it to 94 to 98%, because as we've talked about before, too much oxygen is not great for kids. But So 94 to 98 if you can titrate it, and you want to get your monitoring on for the patient. If you've got 
you know, going for the ABC again, once you've started doing those major treatments, you look at the airway. So other things we can do with the airway, if you've got partial area obstruction, is you could give a nebulized adrenaline, which is be the same as what you would do for croup. And if you've got wheeze, you potentially could try a salbutamol neb, as you would do for someone who's got wheeze. There are other treatments on this refractory anaphylaxis which really do not fit with the usual pre-hospital responder unless you're a critical care team. So I'm not going to talk about the other things that are on here in too much detail, which is, is talking about aminophilin and it's talking about adrenaline infusions for if it's refractory to the other treatments. Definitely uh, drugs that I'm not yeah, not going to be reaching for and, and generally don't carry, which makes it a nice, easy nice easy conclusion. But it's just have some essence. There is other things we can do, and that's why if you're not doing those things that are working, you need to get to hospital so providers in, in another setting can start doing these interventions. There are likely to be cases or potentially cases where we do all of this and you still have a rapidly deteriorating child in front of you. I guess the end game that we're trying to head off is cardiac arrest. If this child does arrest, are there going to be any changes to our standard approach? So that is actually covered in the 21 guidelines as well for cardiac arrest. And it says, do what you do normally. Follow your advanced life support algorithm. You just start in chest compressions early. You want to give IV or IO adrenaline early because you're probably going to be in the non-shockable side, probably, when you assess their rhythm on the ECG. You want to give aggressive food resuscitation because of the vasodilatation you're going to get from the anaphylaxis and you're probably going to need prolonged resuscitation. And then depending where you are, there may be a consideration for extracorporeal CPR, so ECMO, but that all depends on where you're geographically placed. And we're now thoroughly into phone a friend territory, I guess. So me as a basics responder, that's going to be ringing the trauma desk, speaking to the paediatric Scott Star team and, and getting some advice from them. Yeah, I think so. So I think, and that all depends on the logistics and where you are. That's the advice you're going to give, which is do what you do normally. Um, you're probably going to need more fluid and you're going to need adrenaline, which you would normally do during ALS. And resuscitation, I think, you know, on a whole, unfortunately, if you've been involved in this, resuscitation in children is always going to be longer than an adult, usually from experience. Okay, so... Let's look at the, the better side of the equation where we've gone in early, we've aggressively treated what we think is anaphylaxis, and the kid gets better. One of the things that I always have sort of in the back of my mind, that it, and it might be a hangover from med school days, is I was always aware that there might be a sort of biphasic reaction with these sorts of things. Is that something to worry about? Is that going to change our management at all? So it's certainly talked about biphasic response. Now, personally, I've not seen it, but some of my colleagues talk about it. And looking at the literature, you know, it talks of estimates of, of 1% to 20%. So it's a varied estimates of what can happen. What they do say, though, is if you've got a severe anaphylaxis, and especially if there's been a delay in treatment, then it's more likely to have a biphasic response, which is you get an initial response, which you just talked about, then you manage it, and then further down the line, between one to six hours they is talked about you may get a second anaphylaxis so i guess that's going to push us even if the child has recovered and is very well to taking them to some sort of definitive care so that they can be monitored for a length of time yeah i think so i think i think anyone has received intramuscular adrenaline for their first anaphylaxis needs to go to hospital for two reasons. A, to get assessed properly, and there's always this concern about a biphasic response, 
Also, if it's refractory, they might need mast cell triptators, and that's another thing. But importantly, they need to be risk assessed, potentially given an EpiPen, and absolutely referred to see someone who specializes in pediatric allergies for further assessment and further management. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to disappear into, into pediatric allergy management, but what sort of follow-up do these kids need? Is it just a A&E pat on the back, maybe take an EpiPen as a souvenir, or, or you kind of mentioned allergy specialists. Is that universal for everybody? So this is outside my sphere of expertise, but my pediatric colleagues and pediatric emergency medicine and emergency medicine colleagues in general will see a lot more of these patients. I think that I'm only going to be seeing a very small number of incredibly bad anaphylaxis. So they will be seen by people in emergency medicine and they'll be risk assessed to see what their risk of a further allergic reaction is. You know, they may well be kept in if this is a very severe on the spectrum, they've been given lots of IV fluids, if they've got other atopic related diseases, they may well be staying in. So I think there's a risk assessment needs to happen. So they need to go to hospital and then they need to be risk assessed to see if they need to stay in hospital overnight for a period of observation or if they can go home. And each department has its own guidelines to differentiate which of those two groups they need to be. But they all do need to go to an allergy clinic. And most hospitals who've got inpatient paediatrics will have somebody um, or somebody co-located in that area who will have a, an interest in paediatric allergy. So it has to be a specialist paediatrician who has got some special interest in allergies they'll be seeing. Because it's thinking about trying to avoid the triggers, which is obviously the easiest and quickest thing to do, but trying to work out what the trigger is. Because it's trying to narrow down what foodstuff or what um, medication or what household item it is that's causing the reaction. So, And that can only be done by people who specialise in this. Fantastic. Well, that's given us a really nice, clear walk through the paediatric anaphylaxis guidelines. And actually, from my point of view, it's it's almost identical to the adult guidelines, but sort of scaled down. I know it's anathema to paediatricians to say that kids are just small adults, but it, it does make life slightly easier when some of the recommendations are the same. Yes, absolutely. It does make things much easier for everybody if they have uh, got similarities, apart from the doses, obviously. Indeed. Mark, I'm going to get you to give us the sort of three takeaway top tips for managing the paediatric patient with, with anaphylaxis. What, what do you suggest that folks take away from this? So when you're seeing a child, just think, could this be anaphylaxis in your differential? Always look up the dose because that's always the safest way to deal with children looking at what medication you need to give. And to remember that hydrocortisone and chlorofermamine are not part of the initial management of a patient presenting an anaphylaxis. Mark, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your expertise. Okay, thank you for having me again. That's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.